0: Is absolutely wild as Fern Gagna's all-star wrestling goes coast to coast and continent to
1: continent. The greatest wrestlers in the world. He may be an apprentice carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar
0: stools, bar rags, bar maids.
2: I'm talking to you! They're scared
0: that Hulkamania is still running wild. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I got to feed them. And take a look at Jesse the body in
1: real life. Open your hand once if
3: you would. You want to see it? (laughs) This is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control.
1: He's coming in over the top. Hey, look out.
0: And he didn't come out. And so I, I took it an extra step, which is probably something I shouldn't have done in hindsight, but I did it anyway. <laughs> I said, Stan, let's go through the front, let's go through the people and leave. He goes, what? I said, let's don't go out the back door, come on. And he's following me along. <laughs> Stan was always worried about <laughs> my my mindset. And we walked through the people in Louisville waving, goodbye, goodbye. Wow. And people going, hey, you're in the main event, aren't you? We're done, we quit. Bye, and we waved to all of them. Laughed. Whoa. And went home, and then in the shock of things, realizing, well, I just quit the territory, and we don't really have a place to go. So Jerry Jarrett called me at home. You know, this was back when the phones where you crank them on the wall. No one that bad. I mean, you know, you didn't have a cell phone in your pocket. But he waits till I get home. He calls me at home. So so what's the deal? And I explained it to him. Ain't gonna do that. And he said, well unfortunately you know we can't just keep you because that means that you guys are controlling everything including the office so you know if you're going to go you're going to go and he says where are you going to go and he he was the one that suggested going to work for Vern. and he called Vern, and you know Vern said yes send him up next thing i know there <laughs> comes u the u-haul again loaded up that u-haul and drug a car and, i mean you know my life was one big story the night I drove to Minneapolis credit cards were few and far between at the time too and I had a, credit cards and my wife had put them in a strong box and put them inside the U-Haul well right dead center on the floor in the middle of the U-Haul it was a huge truck and just outside of Chicago I, I called her at home she stayed she, my family flew up and I drove and Took everything and Terry, where's the where's the credit card? And she goes, it's in the U-Haul, <laughs> in the middle on the floor. And I go, uh-huh. well, I'm out, I'm out of gas and I got no money. Anyway, pulled into a rest area, unloaded half the U-Haul, dug into there, almost got pinned down. Had a Weimaraner dog tied to a pole beside me. Anyway, got got the credit cards out. Everything's fine. Got it kind of half loaded again and then took off, got some gas, got off on the interstate, got some gas, got back on. I'm thinking, ah, this is great. Got a big cup of coffee. I look at him 10 miles outside of Chicago. I turned around and was headed back through Chicago. So (laughs) where'd he go?
3: No.
1: I'm loving this. Now the man's headed back. I think he went back
3: to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did. I think I think he did go back to Chicago wow. there. Oh wow.
2: my. What fun this is. Oh my god. Man. You know,
1: and it, guys, I tell you so many times when I listen to these these veterans that have been in the business 40 years talking about the old days, it it's just it brings Oh, here you guys. Back.
2: Oh, he's back. It, there it is. Can you up. hear
0: me? Yeah, Yeah, we thought you were going back to Chicago. I can't hear you guys. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Somebody just called me while it was going on, so I don't know if they're leaving a message, and now I can't hear you all until they're done or what. But I'm just going to keep rambling. Good.
3: Tell us about going back to Chicago. still
0: waiting for, for an audio. I'm sure it's just because of, I'm real technical now, (laughs) you know. If anything happens with my phone, I got to get one of my kids or grandkids to fix it. (laughs) All right, is there a you're in the show? Are we here? Yep, yep, we're here. Okay, just keep talking.
3: Okay, so we're no problem. No, well Well, I can ramble on. Really good. Anyway,
0: AWA—that's how we ended up in the AWA. I mean, you know, we just a walkout. Hey, there you are. We all good? Can you Probably hear us? Not. I see you, but I don't hear you. Ah. Anyway, I'm hoping something will happen all of a sudden miraculously, and I'll start picking you up. But so then we go to the AWA, and like I said, when we first went in there, Vern, we got the videos, but we watched him, we watched his TV one time when we'd been there a couple of weeks. And Vern was notorious for playing half a stuff. He played half a video on this one and half a video on that one. And it was never the full thing and it was kind of confusing. And so, I mean, you know, he was really lost with what, what to do with this. And so it just, he had to get a lot of input from us and they were real open. I mean, you know, I'd already heard Vern was like a tyrant. He was a dictator. You know, every territory had reputations and that was the one thing, you know, your friends would smarten you up and say, oh, man, well, Tennessee's a cartoon and you'll never get over Dundee and Lawler. Well, you don't want to go to the AWA. Vern's a dictator. And if you start to get over, he'll squash your ass and get rid of you. But, you know, when, when we started to go there, I already had a little bit of an insight because one of my high school friends had already been there, Terry Bolay and had a confrontation with Vern. And I guess Vern went to leg dive him, I wasn't there. But Terry front face locked him and choked him out and that was the end of Vern being a dictator. So by the time we got there, he was a little tamer. I mean, you know, he still get mad and his head would turn really red when he would scream at me. But I mean, you know, he cooled off. I mean, you know, cause it, back to work and the workers, I could see where he was getting with this screaming at me and I'd wait till he is blowed up and done. And then I just kind of ease in with something simple. Like, yeah, I get it. Okay. Whatever you want, you're the boss. And once you say that to any of the bosses, (laughs) they got no comeback. You know, when you surrender and wave a white flag at them and say, okay, you're the boss, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Want me to put these guys over 10 straight? No problem. I ain't got no problem. This is a business. Anyway, we got to figure out why I'm not hearing you guys now. <clears throat> You're
1: still not hearing us? Is there any
0: buttons you think that I can push? Let's see here. I mean, my phone's limited on and off. So since I got a phone call, I haven't had any audio since then from y'all. Uh,
2: y'all I, look good. I would though. say to log off and log back in, but. You're still he, hearing me
0: okay, huh? Yep. We are. Okay, well, if I was Robert or Ricky Gibson, I could do sign language. Robert was one of my...
2: Oh, now now you're muted. You turned your audio younger off. Younger
0: kid, we used to there pick him up from high school. Their mom was a deaf mute, and they
2: both did sign language,
0: so I didn't ever learn any of that. I'm, so let me see, anything right. I could do here to... <clears throat> hey Chris, I know. you guys can
2: maybe text them and have them log off and log back on
0: yeah I will, oh there uh, you are there you are oh uh, there we oh, are. There you here? are thanks
3: oh perfect sorry oh. there we are yeah i was uh, i was working on some things that uh, try to work on some things behind the scenes but we're all we're all good here yes we are i'm back awesome. in the business i'm back in business steve
1: i got a question about uh, all right themed to the awa i i saw it now uh, you're out
0: again what Whatever Uh-oh. you did, you went in and out.
2: So Yeah, Chris, maybe stay on camera. Now can you hear us, Steve?
0: Nothing. Hmm.
1: No
2: sound. Now, now you're back. Now you're back. Okay. Now you're back.
1: All right. Strange. Let me, go let me, ahead, Mick. Let's try this. Um, Say
0: something. When you came to the a well, and Gone
3: again. Or... No, gone. Well, when there you, you came go. To the... <laughs> can you keep your finger hey, on hey, that hey, button? Steve. I'm not going to move. I'm not okay. going to move.
0: Okay. okay. Now I've got you. I got okay. you. What, Steve, when you came to the AWA. No, nah, I don't have you.
2: Boy, there's. You, so- hold on, I'm Steve. Sure can they you they hear me? Himself. No, nothing. Nothing. Weird.
3: Okay, I'm going to remove myself again.
2: Okay. I got gotcha. you. Okay, you can hear
0: us now? Joe? You yep. Th- can you hear us? Okay.
3: There, do you have us now?
0: I've got you. Okay, you've got Very me. Do you, have, do you have Mick and Joe? Say something, Mick and Joe. Can jokes. you hear us?
3: Can you hear us? Hello?
0: Can't do it. They're waving, but they're not saying anything. No,
3: so you can't. Okay, so if you can only hear me f- for right now, then. So with your with your time in, in the AWA, then, I, I want to ask you, like, overall, how do you feel you were treated then by Vern and, and Greg and everybody in the office?
0: <clears throat> I was treated with respect. I mean, you know, we had the ability to put butts in seats and we were totally different than what they had. So, so Vern's a businessman and he respected Eddie Graham and anybody that came out of the state of Florida had a reputation and respect for where they came from. And so I had the utmost respect. I mean, when I first went to Tennessee, it was kind of iffy, even though Jerry Jarrett and Eddie were friends, it took one incident that Jerry Jarrett realized that, uh-oh, he knows too much. Jerry Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett actually walked up to me one time when we were on top of the world and he put his arm up around my shoulder. And he said, kid, this is awesome. You guys are really the stuff right now, man. We're We're going to make some money. And I slipped my arm up under his arm and I put it up over his shoulder. <laughs> and now I said... I already know this one. And he said, what? And I said, I've taught this a long time ago when a promoter puts his arm around your shoulder, he's getting ready to push your ass off a cliff. I said, (laughs) if I'm going Jarrett, you're going with me and I'm going to land on you. And he looked at me and he goes, Oh my God. And so Vern was real receptive. Greg was real receptive. I actually rented Greg's house in a diner. Was it a diner? Does that sound right? Diner. No, Eden yep, Prairie. Yep, yep, Eden. Yep. Prairie. No, it was Eden Prairie. Okay. It was Eden, it was Eden Prairie. Um, He had a home, and he rented his house to me. And for a while, I thought we were going to own the damn territory. Stan started. uh, He moved in with Kathy Gagne, and I'm going, "Go, Stan, Mar- marry her, and I'll be the booker." How <laughs> know? And Stan, you know, Stan was uh, A single guy, and he was like a, he was a a ladies' man, boy, sweet stand. Mm -hmm. He could go out, he could dance, he could sing, he could do it all. And in a bar, he was in heaven in Minneapolis, because no offense to you all, but you guys are nuts. You guys are in the house way too much, and everybody lives inside up there like hermits, and... (laughs) It drove me out of my mind, but Stan said, man, it's great. Everybody's in a bar every night. Everybody's, you know, they got to stay inside where it's warm and all this. And I'm going unreal. And when we travel, I travel in a snowsuit. I mean, you know, it's like I had no use for cold weather. I mean, I'm a guy that likes to cook out and you do that outdoors. You know,
3: yeah, you, have yep. a, you
0: actually have a grill and it's right outside.
3: <laughs> our yeah. our grill our grilling season is very, very
0: short. Yeah, you got two months. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that I did a lot of grilling with real long extensions flippers and I'd have to slide the door open and flip my stuff on the grill. I <laughs> oh mean, it was it was brutal, brutal. And then I, I was ribbed on myself. It was like I was being paid back. And I remember the first time we had a big snow. I mean, I went out and bought a Bronco because it, I thought you had to have a four-wheel driver for oh, me yeah. to live here. Yep, yep. I bought a Bronco, and every time it snowed, they'd clean the streets. I mean, they were on top of it, but they didn't clean your driveway. <clears throat> and Greg's house, I'd park my Bronco in the garage, The very first time I look out, I see the snow and I'm going, oh, man, I mean, you know, (laughs) what do you do with that? And so I went next door to my neighbor's house and I said, listen, I'm from Florida, man. I said, what do you do with the snow? He says, well, you can borrow my snowblower. And I said, what is it? He says, you just take it out there and it cleans off your driver. I said, okay. Well, it wasn't that easy. I mean, the only thing I've been used to is running lawnmowers. I mean, we mow lawns. I'm mowing my lawn tomorrow, as a matter of fact, in 80 degree weather. Eat your heart out. But it ain't the same. It ain't the same pattern. So I got no. the s- snowblower, and my neighbor. I'll never forget looking over at their picture window, and their whole family's watching me. <laughs> And I'm going along the edge of my driveway and I'm blowing it in the middle, right, as I'm coming around. And I make two or three passes and I'm looking at the middle of the driveway and I'm going, wait a minute, am I building a snowman here or what? How do you get that out of the middle? And I I look over and they're in their living room laughing and they're rolling around and pointing at me and everything. And Now I know this isn't the right way to run this thing. It's just like driving back to Chicago. Yeah. You got to sit in the middle of that driveway and work your way out, which made no sense when I first got it. But anyway, I learned a lot of things and we got used to it and we suffered through Winnipeg and, you know, Minneapolis and upstate there. And some of those places that, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but we have a freezer down here and, on our refrigerator and it works just as good as the whole country freezing everything. <laughs> <laughs> I remember me and Kurt Henning were really close. We got to be really close friends. He was young and very impressionable at the time. And I mean, <clears throat> he loved me and I loved him too. Cause his dad was a badass. anyway. So, um, he invited me to do stuff with him, like go ice fishing, which makes, no sense at all. <laughs> Whoever invented that stuff was ribbing y'all. Cut a hole in the ice this big around and then put a string down in there, a line, and then sit in there and play cards and drink beer. It's really a way to get away from your wife. And you couldn't <laughs> kid me. You want to go get away from your family, go ice fishing.
2: Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: And you get out there and I I, I told Kurt, I said, brother, my bait at home is bigger than that hole. I got to have a bigger hole. And he goes, the fish ain't going to be that much bigger. I said, then why are we here? And and, and I said, one thing you ain't got to worry about (laughs) is having a cooler. That's for sure. But, and, and, and Kurt talked me into so many stupid things that I did in that snow. He talked me into holding on to his four wheel drive. And we drove on Lake Minnetonka or whatever it was in that area. And he said, just hang on to this rope. He said, <laughs> he says, it's just like ice skating. He said, your feet are going to slide. And I mean, you know, at first he was going slow. And I kind of got the hang of it like water skiing almost, you know, just keep my balance there. Now Kurt kicks it up a gear. Now pretty soon I'm hanging on now. I'm, Now he's dragging my ass. (laughs) I mean, you know, we had a blast. uh. He ended up being one of my closest friends. And I mean, you know, I admired him so much later on. And had some funny stories with Kurt. For your territory up there, I can remember there was a guy that was doing a deal. And his name wasn't George Plimpton or something. But he was a guy that was trying to go and do every sport. And he had done a deal with Vern that he was going to do a documentary on being a pro wrestler. And he had me and Kurt Henning work out with him. And Kurt was so funny. He did a deal with the guy. The guy was a a small guy and the guy, he said, get on all fours. So the guy got on all fours and Kurt sat on his shoulders with his feet, hooking them into the insides of his thighs. So They're both facing the same way, but only Kurt's sitting on top of him. And he says, I'm going to do crunches up here and you support me. And the guy's going, yeah. And I'm sitting ringside watching this. And I can't believe this is getting ready to happen. But Kurt leans back at about 240, 250. And that guy did not even come close to supporting him. I mean, it just drove the guy's face straight into the mat and his head was so far up Kurt's ass, I had to go pull his head out of Kurt's ass. And and the guy was almost dead. And I, and I was laughing so hard. And Kurt Kurt never cracked a smile. His straight face like that was part of his deal. And I knew I, I knew I was in love with him from that day on.
3: Well, <laughs> oh, man, all, all of the all of the stories that we hear about Kurt heading to to hear that uh before we we let you go here Steve, tell us about your book, The Current Chronicles. Tell us, um, you know, how you came up with it, where we can get it and uh, all of that pertinent information because we want to get Okay. Out. All
0: right. Well, it's on Amazon. That's the only place you can get it. And um I'm blessed to have it. Um when I was approached to do it, of course, it was my peers. I, you know, I span four generations in the wrestling business. I'm not just my generation. Like a lot of my friends are, I span through four generations and I actually put in 44 years full time, but it wasn't, I was wrestler for approximately 30 years full time. And then things started getting scattered with the territories, um, and it all going into cable and everything. And so <clears throat> when I was approached, everybody's going to say, man, you got a million stories and pictures and history. And I mean, I was there when Saito and uh, Patera got arrested. Me and Stan were on with them the night in that hotel. Matter of fact, we told Patera, we told Ken, he was coming down the hill, go to the McDonald's and we had left their bags at the counter and said, oh, hey, Ken, man, they just closed. They, ju- they just closed. It was 11 o'clock. And he goes, this is what Ken Patera says to me instead. He goes, well, a little, a little bit for me. I'm Ken Patera. He am going, didn't know he meant that. But anyway, <laughs> Black, bl- Black Jack Mulligan was on that flight. Um, and the next morning, when we got up, Blackjack's going, bro, you're not going to believe this. And we went down the hallway where they had fought. And he's going, look at this. And then about that time, here come a, a train of law enforcement and Patera and Saido in little jumpsuits, and they'd been bailed out. And then <laughs> then we listened to the story. And I mean, you know, and it was like, I I had the opportunity to be in a lot of places. I mean, you know, so, but the book, it was just one of those second thoughts. And I, I'm a realist. I'm not an embellishing guy. First thing is I don't trash anybody. I tried. I, mm-hmm. Well, I try not to. Sometimes it leaks out when they ask me, well, "What do you think of that guy's work?" Well, horrible. I mean, you know, but I don't like just go after people and try to run them down. And so, and then I'm I'm smart enough to know that I'm not an icon for my industry. I was just a soldier. I'm just an average soldier that rolled through at six foot, two hundred and thirty pounds, and. I was a tool. I was I w- I was beat a lot. I mean, you know, I was utilized a lot. I was, I, you know, I was fortunate that I wasn't a second-generation wrestler, so there was no nepotism involved. Mm-hmm. Whatever I got, I got yeah. on my own. But, you know, it's like Hawk said to me one time when I double-crossed him, I think it was the first time, m- many hours, <laughs> or after Puerto Rico when I double-crossed him, and he goes, what's your win-loss record? And I looked at him and I went, What he said? (laughs) What's your win loss record? And I go, hmm, that's a tough one. I said I probably lost more than I've won. And he goes, we never lost. And I said, well, I don't care if you win or lose tonight. I'm as long as I get paid. I said, nobody's keeping keeping score, but you. And I said, you know, if you got family members, I said, my my family's smart. (laughs) When they see me get beat, they know we're getting paid. I mean, you know. (laughs) It's a business. It's a work. Yeah. It's a, and, and, and guys, they get lost. They lose track. Some of them, it goes to their head yes. and they start believing that this is the, that that's them, I guess. Cause I was, wasn't a shooter or, you know, the super tough guy or the, the ego thing. I was educated, you know, that, you know, you put people over when you're asked to, because you're asked by your boss. And so mm-hmm. even when I educated this generation that people are witnessing now in the WWE, most of that talent came under me uh, when I owned FCW, the developmental. And I, t- I taught them, I said, you know, don't, don't compare yourself to nobody else in a business or you'll always feel like you're getting mistreated. I said, and just treat it as a business. If you're a superstar, you're a superstar. If you're not, then just get your check And figure out how to save your money and so you know but the book it's not like I'm avoiding promoting it it was one of those things that once I once I wrote it and once we were sitting down writing, it and my and my writer is Ian Douglas he's written five other wrestlers books and uh, actually he did this book here too where's my thing oh here it is Um, Bohemian Rhapsody and this is the um, history of the wrestling in the Bahamas. And I did the forward in this book because I spent a lot of time with their history in the Bahamas. I wrestled there a lot, and so he he helped me write it. He dictated things to me. He he basically would interview me on Wednesday nights for two hours every every Wednesday for a year, and we compiled enough. And he said to me, he said, you got too much. We got we got to do two books." And so we did the first one. <clears throat> And I took it to 1987, from 72 to 87 in my career. And it's mostly territorial days and the beginning of the WWF and all of that. And then I, the second one that's coming out this year, it starts in the WWF when I did Skinner. And when I, mm-hmm. when, I went, when I went to Vince and said, well, I don't know, everybody's a character. Um, you know, I don't know what you want me to be. I was one of the fabulous. He says, I know who you are. Cause I'd worked for his dad, but I was trying to be very, re- very polite. And he said, <clears throat> I had just killed 15 alligators in the first alligator harvest. Like that bad boy right up there. Oh. Anyway, so anyway, <clears throat> that was the real deal. And I laid an alligator hide on his desk. I laid a skull. I laid a paw, some teeth and stuff. And I said, well, I got this. You know, everybody seems to have a character. And he said, listen, Steve, he said, I'm gonna go ahead and hire you. And he said, we'll figure it out. Put it in creatives' hands and bring you back in a month. He said, get rid of that bleach blonde hair. Let it grow natural. Let your beard go from Miami Vice-looking beard to a just shaggy. Just let it go. And this is one inside secret for all of y'all, just so you know. Vince, there's something with Vince and beards. He loves beards. And I would tell all the talent when they're going from FCW, grow a damn beard, man, no matter what. <laughs> No matter what, if you grow a beard, he'll use you. I mean, you know, and if you look at the guys in the territory up there now, just count the beard. But anyway, he said, um, we'll come up with something. I went home, and for a month, I was getting a paycheck. I was hoping he didn't call me back. Just keep sending the money. And he calls me, and I go back to New York. And anyway, they sat me down. and <clears throat> So we come up with your character. And I go, okay. You can't wait to hear this one. And he goes, um, did you ever see the movie Deliverance, Steve? <laughs> and I go, about a hundred times, Vince. And he goes, well, we want you to be one of those guys in that movie. And I looked at Vince and Pat Patterson was the book. He's sitting there looking at me. And Pat Patterson wasn't exactly on the top of my friend list because I kind of beat him up in the ring because I, Briscoe's revved me up one time in Miami. told me he's gay and he's gonna to try to grab my balls, and I go, "You watch the match." Anyway, I I jerked half of Pat Patterson's hair out. As a matter of fact, on the finish of the match, it was supposed I was supposed to go over, but he left the ring and got counted out. <laughs> anyway, but so Vince and Patterson are looking at me and they go, well, "Why don't you be one of those guys?" So I'm looking at Vince and serious as could be. I go you want me to be Burt Reynolds? (laughs) And Vince Vince looks at me and looks at Patterson and says, not not the guy we had in mind. I said, wait a minute. Uh, I said, I'm too pretty to be anybody else in that movie. I sure as hell ain't going to be that banjo player. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) And And he goes, he says, no we want you to be one of the two guys in the woods with Ned Beatty that says, Hey boy, you got a right pretty mouth, man. It was, it was perfect. Uh, you know, the funny parts about it was, was like when I, when I first did a character, we did vignettes and I called my mom and I told my mom the channel to watch. They lived over on the other coast in Melbourne, Florida. And I said, watch I'm, on, I'm in the WWF now. My mom watched it three weeks in a row when I did vignettes and said, I never did see you, honey. I never did see you, honey. I said, Mom, you saw me. You just haven't seen me in a while. And so when she realized who I was, Skinner, and what I look like now, and she's going, oh, I'm going to have to stop telling people at church that you're in the wrestling business. I don't want anybody I don't want to watch. <laughs> not, to, not to mention that I was, a—I was actually a racial character, which I'm not a racial person. I i grew up in a military family and there's no colors in military and you're not mm-hmm. educated that way. My parents didn't teach me that. And I grew up not I'm colorblind when it comes to color. I just don't like bad people, whether they're black, white, or polka dot. And, <clears throat> but as for black friends. I got a million of them. And, but I, I took the character to the limits when the Rodney King beating was going on in LA, they canceled some WWF shows there. And when they finally come back, old racial Skinner's right in the middle of it. And I went out there and I'm wrestling Virgil and on front row was Arsenio Hall, Eddie Murphy and MC Hammer. Oh, There was always more. I threw Virgil out on the floor at their feet and I came out there and I run his head into the rail right there. And I looked at all three of them and I stuck my boot up there in front of them. Oh. And at the top of my voice in a dead silent arena that hadn't had a live event because of that racial turmoil from the Rodney King beating, I said, which one of you, and I use the N word oh. really loud, Wants to shine my boots. Oh, man. let me tell you. Let me tell you something. Both, all three of those guys busted out laughing. And when the show was over, the only one they wanted to meet was Skinner. And I remember Arsenio Hall. And my, my son was on a tour with me and my son was probably about 10. And he goes, who's that guy? And I said, I think he's on TV a lot. His name's Arsenio. He come in, he said, dad, he's so excited about meeting you. He said, well, he can't wait to meet you. And when I went over to him, I said, Hey man, I'm sorry. I'm just doing a character. It's like being a movie star. You know, that's not my persona in real life and all that, but I'm, I'm bending over backwards to be the bad guy. And he says to me, he says, listen, you got unbelievable balls to do that. And, the tension that's going on right now, racially, and you scream that out in an arena like that. You said, we popped, we couldn't believe it. Says you're over with us, you know? So Man. I mean, there's, a, there's a lot more and I'm not gonna get into it. Cause mm. that's the only thing anybody will remember. They won't remember to buy my book on Amazon, but they'll remember, ah, oh, you don't want to invite him.
3: <laughs> wow. Well, that, that absolutely incredible. And I know there, there's so much more that we could get into. Uh, I know that you got to run, you got to do some things, but man. Bad Steve. Bad, yeah. I got to go out and get a suntan. There, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, Steve, man, I, I appreciate this so much. Thanks so much for the time. You're welcome, hopefully, Chris. Hopefully, hopefully we can do this again, man. This, this was, this is
0: Fan- fantastic. Fabulous! 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 fabulous. I, I got to correct everybody all the time on that. They try to compliment or try to be, hey, this was that was fantastic. I said, nah, I don't use that. <laughs> yeah, it was fabulous. Hey, thanks, there you Steve. Go. Hopefully, we'll do it again. Well, I hope so. I got another book coming out, so hopefully, you guys will be interested in hearing it because it's Damn real. Up it really encompasses a lot of stuff that I think people will find interesting in the transition from territorial days into the cable and, and, the, and the levels I went. I mean, you know, wrestling was just part of it. Then an, yep. agent, then an agent for six years under Vince when there's only five wrestlers that control the whole WWE and all the pay-per-views and everything and then owning an FCW, the developmental, and, and then gently and gracefully retiring out.
3: <laughs> yeah i mean there's just there's so much meat on that bone and and yeah let's let's do it again because you have so okay. many stories that we haven't we haven't even touched but let's let's definitely do this again steve hey,
0: okay hey. Let, let, let me ask you how many of y'all read my book
2: not yet but i'm yeah i have
3: through. i have not, not Yeah, now that i know that it's i'm gonna go on amazon right now as a matter of fact when i get done with this
0: well here's what i'm gonna tell you because okay. that this is this is the comments I've gotten from my friends I mean CM Punk does my forward and nobody and CM wasn't even working he was he was off the chart but I you know I was a close friend of his and I I respected him and he called me a mentor and I said I want you to do my forward and I said you know I said most people that are going to talk about me that are my friends are going to embellish it and try to make me sound bigger than life you're just a guy that I kind of went through it but the thing about it is, is, you know, trying to go forward in this book business and everything, I wanted to do something. And the thing about my book is everybody that's ever read it said it's so easy reading that as they start to read, they can't put it down and they continue reading no matter who's read it. No matter, and I don't know if they're lying to me, but, you know, even my own family, you know, would say, hey. You know, dad, your book's 400 pages long. I ain't got time to read it. And then, you know, next thing I know, I said, man, I can't put it down. It's just, you're compelling to go to the next story yeah. and the next incident. So, sweet. And, sweet. and just doing, just working on the second one. I mean, you know, might have to be a third one because of uh, the nasty boys are in my ear. Make sure you tell that story. Hey, tell them about the time you ribbed me. Tell them about the time we ribbed you. Mean? Stephen King's house, they ribbed me so bad at Stephen King's house on snow. Talk me into getting <laughs> talk talked me a skinner into getting on a disc and go down a hill and said, Oh, it's fun. And I'm Boy. going, yeah, and I'm 250. And I got it wedged in that disc and knobs shoved me off that hill. I went through a set of hedges down at the bottom of the ground, <laughs> 50. Good God, you're Not like cousin day. Eddie in Christmas vacation. When I showed up at the that show that night, my whole face was all tore up when I'd gone through it, and everybody's going, "What happened to <laughs> you?" I said, "Noms and sags taught me to slide down a hill in the snow." <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of stories uh, and a lot there, of a lot of no. stuff for, that people find funny and
3: interesting. This has don't been a say, treat. This don't been
0: say been fantastic.
3: No, this has been a treat. <laughs> this has been a treat. It's been it's been fabulous. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. So uh, there he is. Let's uh, bring back in Mick and uh, let's bring in Joe. And that was, that was great. Like there's so much there that we didn't even get to, but man, what, what a fantastic storyteller. Absolutely fantastic. Fabulous storyteller.
1: This is, you know, it's, it's rare that we that we are able to sit and listen. Uh, We've had some guests on the podcast where we've had to jump in ad nauseum over and over again to keep Mm -hmm. the conversation flowing and going. Uh, We didn't have to do that with Steve. Um, This guy is so talented. I mean, that's the one thing. You know, you think of Steve Kern, four decades, four and a half decades in the business. And he did everything, And I I tell you, personally, I was flabbergasted that Skinner was his favorite character.
3: That really surprised me. But it it makes sense, though, when you hear him talk about how he was able to be somebody completely opposite of who he is as an individual.
1: Chris and Joe, you know, he talked about those 1970s babyface promos. You know, Greg and Jim, at least, you know, would show fire once in a while. But I remember some of those babyfaces in the seventies, like when Jim Renzel told us, you know, first time he auditioned in front of Vince and Vince says, Oh, we got another backland here. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, uh, it was a different world back then. And I, I promise you a team like the fabulous ones would not get over for one minute as a babyface tag team in this day and age, uh, you know, where, where the heels are the, are the faces.
2: Yeah. Different time. Two things that I took away from it is, I did not, I, I was never really able to see the real Steve Kern. Right. And by that, I mean, well, he even alluded to it. When they were doing promos as baby faces, it was very difficult to do. He pretty much carried this entire hour and 30, almost 38 minutes right now he carried it by telling story after story so yeah it's not what i expected but the other thing that i took away um i didn't know that he was such a ribber, but it makes sense why he and kurt henning were so close because kurt was the king of the rib I got to read, I got to get his book. I got to read some of those stories. I always love hearing those locker room stories and the behind the scenes shit that they did.
3: Yeah. Go ahead, Mick.
1: Yeah. I I was going to say to Joe's point, you know, we have a basic format when we do the show, we've talked about this before. We've got pictures ready to go. We've got questions ready to go. Yep. And we, we, it was kind of like Marty Gennetti, but in a totally opposite direction (laughs) because we, We abandoned the script. We let Steve talk. And Joe, like you said, the stories and the names he was talking about to an old school guy like me, the Florida days with Dusty Rhodes and Bob Rube and Mike Graham and Eddie Graham. Just fascinating, fascinating stuff.
3: Well, and it, 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 it went from one to another to another. So his storytelling, there was a reason why we were sitting here because we told him before we went on, Like you said, Nick, we've got a format, but we just kind of let this thing organically form. We let this thing, we don't try and push it in a particular way. Like we've got questions we want to ask, but if we don't get to them, that's fine. Because I felt like we got really good. So hopefully you you guys feel like over the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to end up breaking this up into a couple of different uh, episodes. So it's a little bit more digestible. But man, he absolutely, I mean, he told some great stories. And this it makes me legitimately, I'm legitimately going to get his book as soon as I, you know, I'm I'm going to get it today from Amazon.
2: Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask him about the Sharp Dressed Man music video. I they did that when they were in Tennessee. Mike Shields, who hired me Mm -hmm. through Vern and into the AWA, I, I I wanted to ask, like. Did Mike Shields help produce that? I wanted to get more into that because in my career, well, even back to when I was a fan before I got into the AWA, that was the first music video approach that I had ever seen. And so that's why I popped for it. He was right. It was during the MTV era. Now MTV is coming into professional wrestling. This was before WWF uh, blew up with WrestleMania One. Yeah, so many more questions. Hell, I, I think we could probably do several hours with with Steve moving forward. And and
3: I and I don't I don't see any reason why down the road we couldn't get him back.
2: Oh, we
1: are get, we got to get him back. I mean, this guy. You know, needless to say, Steve has a lot to talk about. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to find out, you know, how he felt, you know, kind of playing second fiddle baby face to, to uh, Greg when he yeah, came yeah. in territory, you know, how he felt when at Wrestle Rock, when uh, Windham and Rotundo uh, kind of got the, the fans behind them. And, well, and, of-
3: and that's the thing, like, yeah, because was there the, the subtle, did they had to have to subtly make that switch to being the villains?
1: They did, and I don't even know that they expected that, you know, when they came out. It, it was and,
3: and that's a true professional right there to be able Absolutely. to make that change on the fly. Not yep. an easy thing for, for talent to do. At least I, I would assume it's not an easy thing for talent to do.
1: No, especially if you've gone over the match in the locker room and you're anticipating the crowd to go one way and all of a sudden they go another way. Now you're playing the subtle heel. Instead of going over as the baby face. Mm-hmm. So it was fascinating to me. Let's absolutely get him back. We got it.
2: Good you know, you might yeah, not, all the respect. You, you might not think it for somebody like Steve who who carried and talked for the majority of this podcast. But what the other thing I got out of it, he really is humble. He knew his role, he knew yeah. his place, he did it well. Yep. Survived in the industry for month, forty years over four decades, I, I I was impressed. I'll leave it at that. Well, and, and when he's like, well, I'm not a legend.
3: I was just a you know, uh, I was a tool. I was part of the machine. You look at what he did and FCW the the talent that came through FCW. You know, because we talk about OVW being a subsidiary. You know, in a minor league for the WWE WWF FCW the names that are on that roster today, a significant amount of them have Steve Kern's influence and it's, it's absolutely amazing. So I think he's underselling himself, frankly.
1: Well, he is. And that's that's
3: part of the humbleness, Joe, that you're talking about.
2: Mm -hmm. Part
1: of the humbleness Joe's talking about and the charm of Steve Kern. I mean, that's uh, you know, when you talk to, when you see a guy who's not full of himself and he addressed that too, so many of these guys start believing their own publicity. Yeah. Their own character. And he was not like that. So, yeah, let, let, let's get him back.
3: Absolutely. Let's, uh, well, we haven't done this in uh, a couple of weeks. So we're going to do it. We haven't done the shout out. I'm going to show you the preeminent shirt. Ah. Uh, if you want it, you can get it at tpublic.com, user uh, Unleash Plus. You can get that. You can get the slick Mick guy coffee mug, which I have my coffee in, Uh, you you can get, uh, well, you can't get hat, but you can get phone cases, you can get stickers, and uh, if you become a member of our YouTube channel, we've had a live chat already, we've dropped our first uh, exclusive watch along, we did that a couple of weeks ago, we did all of that, if you want to become a member, the link is in the description, it is absolutely in the description. I'm going to put the uh, I'm going to see if I can put the the membership tier up here, guys. And and uh, again, we haven't done this in a couple of weeks. This is all just kind of on the fly because we were going to do an hour and then it went long. But we're going to do two hours of it. Uh, So here it is. This is what you're going to get. You can see right there the body slam. I'm going to put it up to a, a full a full logo. Access to the podcast a day early. You get the monthly live chat, which uh, we did a couple weeks ago on uh, Sunday night. You get a personalized letter from me with a sticker and a magnet. And then uh, the $4.99 a month, this is what I recommend, you guys. You get the podcast. You get the exclusive monthly video watch along with the updated commentary. It's the three of us, Unleash Meets Mystery Science Theater 3000. You get live chats. You get the thank you letter from me on behalf of all of us. With the sticker and the magnet, so uh, there you go. I think do uh, do I have everything here, guys? I think you, you know. did. You do. Okay, let's uh, let's get to some uh, let's get to some shoutouts here, guys, and then we will bring it home.
1: Ron Trailstad and Eric Bartholomew, two old school wrestling fans, all the way back to the SNR days. They would write in every week questions watch religiously and now they're doing the same thing with the podcast so Ron and Eric love you guys
2: my shout out this week goes to somebody that I don't know of anyone in the business who doesn't have a good thing to say about him and he's very highly respected and I know listens to the podcast I'm talking about our friend Les Thatcher
3: and uh, he, and he's also somebody that we will be getting on this podcast very, very soon. I know that, uh, Mick, you've talked to him. And uh, my, my shout-out's going to be to uh, a friend of ours right across the river in Hudson, Wisconsin, uh, Jason Marinus, who's a, a new member to our YouTube channel. So, Jason, appreciate the messages, my man, and uh, look forward to chatting up with you a little bit more next week. Um, are we doing the, the fan fans submitted tag team poll kind of what, what are we doing there, Mick?
1: We, we certainly are, you know, not that long ago, I I put up a poll on our AWA unleashed page and the uh, also the slick Mick page asking fans to vote on who they think were the 10 greatest tag teams in the AWA. We're going to have the results. We'll, we'll go over it with a fine tooth comb and uh, some surprises
2: looking forward to it no skin off our nose was the super slayer part of that was Was he on one of those tag teams uh
1: no he he was banned from virtually every wrestling arena
3: in the world
2: might want to stay away from those swamps he might get skinned alive down there mick